Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm here, and I've got a full set of people who I would have considered friends until about 30 seconds ago, but there's three people joining me this week, which is quite nice. I'm going to introduce them in order of professionalism. Vito Doria is obviously up first. Vito, welcome along. It's good to speak to you again. Hi, Connor. I'm good. Um, Looking forward to the chat, and... uh... Yeah, from the outside world perspective, I'm just glad it doesn't feel humid because the humidity in uh, Melbourne's been crazy for the last two weeks. It feels very tropical. Let's not start talking about humidity, Vito, because I'll I'll go with you on that one if you like. (laughs) Considering we're introducing the people in terms of professionalism, I think we can just bash on with this podcast, Vito, and have a chat ourselves. Unfortunately not. We've got to say that Kev Pugzelski is also here. Kev, you look surprised to be second on the list. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, but um, I reckon I get that. It's a bit like age over beauty, uh, I think, more than you actually judging our professionalism. So It's more it. to do with the fact that Ewan did something ridiculous more recently than you in that he did it as we were starting to record the podcast. So that's the third guest. Ewan, you're here. Yep, I'm here. I've done my ridiculous thing. I won't do any more, I promise. I don't think you're in a position to promise that, but let's <laughs> see. I, I think I know you well enough to say that you probably will. Um, and you'll probably say some ridiculous things when we start talking about a certain Portuguese player to have arrived in Serie A, but we'll get there. The recording is taking place as ever on a Sunday night, which means that there are only seven of the ten 
round 22 games to talk about now. So Milan, Spezia, Bologna, Napoli and Fiorentina, Genoa have yet to be played. The games that we will be speaking about are Sampdoria's 2-1 loss to Torino, Lazio beat Salernitana's B-team 3-0, Juve beat Udinese 2-0, those were the Saturday games. Sunday got going with a bang as Verona beat Sassuolo 4-2 at the Mape. Venezia and Empoli drew 1-1 in Venice, Roma beat Cagliari 1-0 and Atalanta Inter served up the most unlikely scoreline of the weekend in playing at a scoreless draw. We've got to start there. In Bergamo, Kev, where I don't think anybody could have possibly seen this coming. No, I didn't expect um, such a low scoring affair. Um, glad you came to me first because I only got home to see the second half. <laughs> Thank you very much. Great. Um, but I did, I did kind of catch up on your uh, tweet of the uh, the starting lineup, and it was very. Um, an understrength, if we call it that, Atalanta side. So maybe we, we, we could have expected them to just try and keep Inter at bay. Um, the point is good for, for them, arguably more so than Inter if they're looking to score Champions League and not particularly hopeful at this stage that they could win the league. But um, yeah, they held on a little bit towards the end, and there was that kind of great goal line challenge from. Palomino, I think it was on the Petzella. Petzella. Petzella was it. And then um, didn't they also clear one off the line later on? So um, they can probably go away happy just with those two late chances that um, Inter were unable to take. I think when any discussion of this game has to take into account the fact that Inter were at full strength and Atalanta were missing Hans Hattabor, Robin Gosens, Joachim Mele, Captain Rafael Toloi and Duvan Zapata as well as Ruslan Malinovsky in in attacking midfield and Vito. When you saw this team get announced, you just thought, okay, Inter are getting out of Bergamo with quite a handy three points here. But it proved to be anything but an easy game for Inter. It was a tough game for the Nerazzurri. And uh, I think uh, Atalanta, I think they probably fancied their chances of getting the win, especially with some of the chances created in the second half. But uh, Andanovic made a couple of good saves for Winter. And, um, you know, there's probably going to be some players, probably Pasolic, they'll probably feel hardly done by mm-hmm. that. Uh, Ladea did not uh, keep the three points in Bergamo. Yeah, there were chances. There were chances. Pasolic had a few. Pessina had the biggest and, and Muriel had, had one as well. So Atalanta were... You could say unlucky not to leave with all three points, but you and given how this lined up, this is really a case of Inter dropping two points here. Yeah, I think it has to be because, like you say, with the lineups, you know, arguably with both teams at full strength, Inter should be should be winning that game, um, and particularly that lands with the players they didn't have available. It's one of them. It's it's a very good result for them in that short term sense. We look at it that way. In in the bigger picture way, in terms of a title race, they're the ones who needed to win the game. They needed the points more than Inter did. So it, it's still disappointing for them in that sense. But I think they have to view it as that could have been a hell of a lot worse and really should have been a lot worse if Inter had properly shown up. What happened with Inter then? Are we just going to put this down to a hangover, a bit of fatigue after the, the Supercoppa? 
they, they have, sorry, I was just going to say, they have, they have played a game in midweek, but also if you think... Both teams did, to be fair. Yeah, but we get, because we've got this kind of current era of sides dominating, you know, we've, we've had Juventus dominating the league and you can you can rarely afford to slip up. You know, we're kind of back into, if I can call it an age of normality, where you can probably lose three, four games or, you know, at least drop 12 points and still be in a total race. And I think Inter at the start of the season, if they're looking at where they would potentially drop points, ignoring for a fact, you know, for a moment what you said about the team, but they'll look at Atalanta away and think, we we could lose that game. We could lose three points there. Some you know wherever whenever we play them in the season. So to leave with a point actually is probably how they look at it. And t- tomorrow when they're kind of all the emotion out of the the fixtures died down and gone, actually a point from Atalanta isn't bad in the grand scheme of things over the course of the season. Yeah, I think I think I agree with Kevin in the sense that you know they they have to be tired. Surely, I mean yes, both teams played midweek, but obviously Inter's game was a lot more intense and it went on longer um and they've just had you know every game feels so massive for them there was just a few players who just looked a yard off it you know players like Dumfries you know wasn't quite taking on the man as much as he has done in recent weeks players like Dzeko seemed to you know he had a few chances for him he just didn't seem to be quite clicked into the game none of them quite looked as sharp and I think that was always going to happen at some point quite soon but like Kev says, I think it will have been in their head that, you know, if we get up here with a point, you know, that's that's really not the worst thing in the world. And we can move on from there. Atalanta's eleven got a lot of the, the, the pre-match focus and the headlines and the attention. But more interestingly was Inter's, I thought, because Vito Simone and Zaghi opted to play Edin Dzeko and Alexis Sanchez up top, despite having taken Dzeko and Lautaro off at the same time in the Supercopa, presumably with this game in mind. But Alexis, I suppose, forced his way into the team by scoring that late winner against Juve in midweek. Is this a decision that didn't exactly pay off for Inzaghi? Uh, With the benefit of hindsight, I'd say yes. Um, uh, It must be said, you know, I think it's fair to reward players for form and uh, Sanchez scoring that, last-minute winner in the Supercoppa Italiana final. I think, you know, in a way it justifies a selection change. But uh, if we're talking generalities, I think uh, Lautaro is meant to be the go-to man in the Nerazzurri attack. So, um, yeah, just looking back, yeah, um, probably didn't work. But uh, I think uh, for what uh, Alexis did in that final, I think... If you were going to make a change, you know, there seemed to be good enough grounds to do so. Well, someone who definitely made some changes in, t- in terms of how he performed, you and Samir Andanovic. Where did this performance come from? Because we said Atalanta had their chances, but they came up against the Andanovic of 2012. I didn't know he still had this kind of game in him. Yeah, he seems to wait until it's become clear that... Um... Andre Anand has had his medical and everything, and he suddenly put in a fantastic performance. I mean, he's effectively, you know, the the ship has sailed in terms of him completely keeping that number one spot for next season. But, you know, you would assume he wants to be part of the squad. He wants to be involved in some sort of rotation with Onana and take advantage of if the guy doesn't settle in. He was fantastic tonight. There was, you know, he, he was good enough throughout the game that there was a couple of times later on in the game where Atalanta got through 
and you're actually, you know, you're almost backing the keeper more than the attacker, which is not a position that, you know, we've come accustomed to being in with Handanovic. As soon as somebody gets through against Inter, you, know, you assume that it's going to be a goal, especially with the decent finishers that are in Atalanta's side. You know, they, they had a few chances towards the end of Atalanta where they weren't, they weren't must-score chances, but they were very good chances and they still required good saves. You know, the Pasalic one, there was a Muriel one as well. Um, and yeah, he, he was very, very good. And he, you know, he would have got a few weeks more of favour from Inter fans with that performance, I think. It's the Muriel one that is the save because the, the Pasalic one where he went through and shot it on his left, I thought he kind of just ran out of space. I thought Inter defended that space really intelligently because Piccoli and someone else were were available on the right, but they kind of covered that and reduced the angle for Pashlich. But when Muriel went through and then deceived Andanovic, as he always does, by going at the near post, you could see Andanovic's reaction, having expected it to go across him initially, was incredible. I, I just didn't did not expect him to have that sort of speed and, and, and pace about him at that age. But it's a good performance. It is funny that it has come now and not arguably a year ago when his decline really started to accelerate but if Inter can get performances like this out of him in the big games between now and the end of the season well then they'll be pleased with that but on this game just before we move on we've got to address something that had little to do with the game until it forced its way into the conversation about this game. And, and we're going to have to go all the way down to Campania for this because Napoli, 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 Napoli. Well, to be quite honest, I don't know what's happened here, but they've taken to Twitter and they've they've put out a very odd tweet, Kev. And I'm sure you've seen this. I'm baffled by this. While I scramble to try and find it, to read it out, can you make any sense of what happened? No, it, it was a very strange one. It's it's one of those where you think, have you just tweeted? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like, it's like you see a wedding picture online and then you see a comment further down the picture, say on Instagram, and it's the ex-partner of one of the two people <laughs> that have got married. And it's like, hope you have a wonderful life together. And it's like, are you really bitter? Are you actually okay? Have you had one too many wines at home alone while watching the, the wedding on, uh, you know, whatever, a live stream or something like they sometimes do? Um, televised wedding. And, oh, no, we've, we've seen two in Vegas, Ewan. We've seen two of our friends get married. Live stream from Vegas, um, but yeah, so it's one of those. It's one of those bizarre ones. You just wonder who's taken over the the Napoli Twitter account. So the first tweet, I say first because there were unfortunately or fortunately, I suppose, multiple of these went out on the Italian account as you'd expect, which just said like Napoli congratulate both Atalanta and Inter for having played a beautiful match um, with like I don't know honest and brilliant football. Now it's the it's the use of the word honest there that triggered my suspicion that they're maybe suggesting something. Um, so that was at 20 to 11, not long, not too long before we, we came on to do this podcast. 45 minutes later, just as we were coming on to record this podcast, 
The English account got in on it, saying the club would like to congratulate Atalanta and Inter on an entertaining and fairly contested game of football. Now, maybe I've lived here too long, or maybe I've done work around Serie A for too long. I don't believe that Napoli's intentions are very pure here, Vito. And I think there's something they want to say, but I don't know what it could possibly be. Well, I'll just in well, I won't say insinuate, but I th- I reckon because of the animosity between them and um, <clears throat> Juventus, <clears throat> I think uh, it's implying that you know at least Atalanta and Inter good game, and it's like they were saying we wouldn't see this from Juventus in a million years, huh? 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 Interesting. That's, what That's, what That's not an angle I was taking on this. That's an interesting one, Vito. You might be right there. That's that's something to consider for sure. I thought they might have been getting that. Oh, look at you two agreeing to play out a nil-nil draw. But I, I don't know. You and you've got some thoughts. Yeah. So what you just said is what I assumed you meant. Which, if that is what they, I mean, the draw suits them, though. Surely it suits them. I think if I was an Apple fan, I'd, I'd want to draw here. Because it stops the team getting further. It, that's that's the beneficial result. They've got to be happy with that. So if that, I don't know, that rules out whether that's what they mean. I'm not going to try and get in the head of a so yeah, um, social media app. And it's even more weird, like you say, that it was 45 minutes between between, <laughs> between the two tweets. Because that's what's really mad. It's like, say, is it have they just panicked and decided to whack it out on the other one? Or have they, like... You know, that time to think about this and thought, yeah, you know, that's a nice thing we've said there. That's nice. Let's 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 give that to the English fans as well. <laughs> I I think Vito's theory holds a little bit more mm. sort of water than 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 the one suggesting that either Atalanta or or Inter played out a, a convenient a convenient draw. Um, maybe maybe if you think against Roma last week, Juventus purposely tried to throw away the game by. Playing so awfully in defence, and only won by uh, by luck more than what was planned. But uh, I would like to see now Napoli for the rest of the season, after every other Serie A game, to tweet out <laughs> tweet out their feelings on the result. You know, when Milan play tomorrow, oh, well done Milan for beating Spezia honestly, and you know all above board. And if they just keep doing that for the rest of the season, I'll be happy. I suppose if we want to try and sort of give them the benefit of the doubt and be as nice as possible. We do seem to be seeing a lot more clubs being, having a bit more personality as it were via their official feed. So not necessarily in a good sense, but like there's been you know, a lot of Spanish clubs that's been talked about where they're digging out refereeing decisions left, right and centre. And, and, and your boys. Ago. Yeah, they did it a few weeks ago. And like there's, and you know, the Venezia account in particular is one way, you know, they, they speak more, specifically about what is actually going on in the game and stuff in their tweets, which is quite different. You almost wonder if Napoli are just trying something here. They're just like, I don't think it's come across well and it looks a bit weird and maybe it is more sinister <laughs> than I'm being, but you wonder if they're just trying some sort of other direction and seeing how it gets on. Maybe they're just going to start being really nice to people on social media and see if it makes them more popular. I have no idea. I'm just going through Twitter now. I just opened up my home 
page and everyone's still just confused by it both in in italy and in other countries as well the the general quote tweet response seems to be what sorry what's this you what now and then there's alistair mckenzie just saying well isn't that lovely which i think is probably the right (laughs) take to have from this and we're all just being a little bit cynical but maybe napoli were just really pleased with this result and they couldn't go on and say, ah, yeah, come on. So they, they wanted to say thank you for the result. Who knows? I think we've given this enough time. We've given it as much time as we gave the game. So with that, let's move on to another thriller, shall we? Roma beat Cagliari 1-0. And look, it was a penalty that won it for the Giallo Rossi. And Vito, I think Mourinho will see that as as big a win as the fact that it was a new Portuguese signing that scored the winning penalty. Yeah, um, yeah, lots of like uh, for Mourinho there, he got the three points and uh, his compatriot Sergio Oliveira, who's just joined from Porto, he got uh, the decisive goal. Also in uh, Oliveira's press conference, he even said that uh, he's been following Roma this season because of the general manager, Thiago Pinto, and also the coach, Mourinho. So, yeah, maybe this uh, Portuguese bond might uh, create something special in Rome later on. He's not a player that I've seen all that often because, to be frank, I don't watch Portuguese football. But every time I've seen him in the Champions League, I've been really impressed with him. I think it was the game against Juve where I just thought he was brilliant. It was him who scored the free kick that went through Yes. Cristiano's legs, right? He was sensational in that game. So I'm quite excited to have him in Serie A. It'll be interesting to see what Mourinho can get out of him. But based on the early words from both, it seems like that's a relationship, one of the relationships that's going to work for Mourinho Aroma. And Kev, I can see you're itching to jump in, but I'm excited about this. Well, that's that's probably why he's given him penalty uh, duties over... Jordan Vera too, um, because I was a little surprised by that, especially on your debut. Um, and then as you started rolling on about Orvito saying about he was followed Roma, you know, because of the sporting director, Portuguese manager, and it's like, oh, okay, they're probably all matey matey, or I uh, suggested that he might have some compromising photos of Mourinho somewhere, or written into the contract that he has to take, that he has to take penalties, but. Um, Mourinho, I've just seen this evening, has been linked with the uh, the now vacant Everton. What? Yeah, uh, but that's job. obviously not going to happen, is it? Because Everton wow. will have to pay a lot of money for that to happen. Yeah, but that's what they do: pay uh, lots of money out for very little success, which is what Mourinho brings in recent years. So, oh, oh, you're hard. Oh, saying that you... from saying that from there, where I can't get to you. Well, I know you'd be distraught if uh, <laughs> Jose Jose left. I'd follow before, uh, <laughs> before the end of the season. I might, I might move to Liverpool and and just hang out with you and you. And I've done it again. That happened last time with you and and you every time, every weekend, every other weekend. But I I have a, an idea on this because I did see your tweet about that whole Vera two thing, Kev. But do you reckon there might it might have just been a case that Pellegrini missed the penalty over the weekend? There's this guy who's coming in. He's probably not expected to start. Definitely wouldn't be expected to take a penalty on his debut. So they just thought, Cranio's not going to have his research done. You take it. 
Yeah, that's an interesting angle that, that Cranier wouldn't 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 know. Um, I just feel, I just found it strange just because of his debut, but we have seen it, you know, other times when renowned penalty takers sign for someone and become the penalty the penalty taker. In a, in a way, that happened with Veratu at Roma because he was so used to taking them at Fiorentina. He kind of moved there and became their default penalty taker for a while. Um, but yeah, I was just angling, playing devil's advocate. That what a, a Portuguese shock. What a shock. You're in. just trying to throw something in that would unsettle a Mourinho dressing room. You're a disgrace. You're transparent. I see right through you. But Sergio Oliveira has scored 11 of his last 12 penalties now as well. So he's he's got a bit of prestige from the spot. Um, Juventus beat Udinese 2-0 in probably one of the least desirable fixtures of the Serie A calendar in that the general word from FIF is never watch Udinese. And while Juventus were good, it was never watch Juventus. Now they can be a little bit more interesting. But um, Vito, I'm going to give you this one. I'm sorry to say. Paolo Dybala and Weston McKenney got the goals and Juventus got a pretty comfortable win. Yeah, another fine finish from Dybala and... uh... I think one of the stories I've noticed about this particular game was uh, Dybala's celebration that he was looking towards the crowd. That seems to be um, generating a bit of talk on social media. So um, perhaps it's a signal of all this mumbo-jumbo regarding his uh, contract renewal. But uh, yeah, interesting gesture. Otherwise, the result, routine win. And uh, fortunately, this time, Szczesny didn't let the ball slip because he was at fault for both goals when they played each other in Udine early this season. He was, but you remember how fun that was in Udine when when another Portuguese thought he had scored a goal and took his top off and then it was ruled out. Oh, look, I've mentioned them. I've mentioned the Portuguese forward. Ewan has something to say. Go on. Ewan likes doing this at the moment. He he tries to speak while having his microphone muted, but then when he should mute his microphone, <sighs> he doesn't do it and just makes the whole podcast <laughs> wait. So, I pressed the little hand and in, in, in my mind, I'd done the mic as well. I don't need one, no, but I'm pressing. You are, um, you are now on mute. Yeah. Uh, no, I just want to say about Dybala. Um With this whole con- contract thing, obviously because of other work I do, it's something I hear more about. But... Do any of you actually think there's any genuine chance that he could end up at Inter? Because yes. in, in the world I move in, it, you know, I've, I've wrote a million things about it, but that doesn't always mean that it's actually the real world. Um, but yeah, that that would be mad, but it actually seems a bit on the cards. Beppe Marotta, I, I think he'll yeah. have quite a big part to play in, in whatever business happens with Dybala this summer because it, it's looking increasingly unlikely that he'll get a renewal at Juventus. So yeah, I, I think there's absolutely a chance if he's happy in Northern Italy, he wouldn't necessarily need to move from Turin or too far away from Turin to, to play for Inter. So why not? Well, the, the finances seem to be, like the, the, the kind of talk seems to be like they can't afford the wages, but they're expecting uh, Vecino and Vidal to be gone. And that that's basically meant to free up Dybala's wage effectively. Obviously, they're going to need to get more midfielders, but they'd be cheaper <laughs> than, mm. than someone like Dybala who's going to be on, you know, he's going to be one of, if not the highest earner in the squad, you'd think. But, you know, right now that is Vidal. And he, you'd think 
is surely going very soon. Do we think that could be the the reason behind his sort of terrible body language, particularly after scoring, that he that he would almost want the narrative to be that Juventus didn't offer him enough or what he wanted or something to keep him and put the blame on them rather than him if he was seen to go to Inter? He was trying to send a clear message yesterday, right? And I, I think, to be fair, he succeeded in, in making his stance clear by just staring down Nedved from the pitch. It's quite clear that he's saying, I'm, I want to stay. Give me an offer that I can accept. That's what I interpreted from that. Um, and I think that if Dybala had his way, he'd be staying at Juventus. But if that reaction is anything to go by, I don't think he's too pleased. So why wouldn't he go to Inter in that case? It could be great fun. Imagine the fun, Kev. If Dybala leaves Juve for Inter in the summer and then wins the Scudetto again. Yeah, I'm sure everybody would be over the moon and Juventus would send a little tweet saying, congratulations, uh, Dybala, for a wonderful, fair and honest Scudetto win with Inter. Do you know who might send a tweet <laughs> in that situation? Napoli. Yeah. They might actually do that because it would make sense, wouldn't it? It would wind up Juventus. If we're buying into Vito's theory as well, I think it would, I think it would work. Yes. Vito, you're, you're in charge of this whole theory. Um, yeah. Would that fit? <laughs> Oh, it would fit seamlessly, seamlessly. <laughs> Do we have to talk about this match? No. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I do want to say that Weston McKenney scored again, and he's been a consistent figure for Juve throughout all of this nonsense over the last, I mean, since Allegri's been there. and I didn't expect you and that McKenney would be like a, a consistently good performer for them. Yeah, we kind of talked about him the other day, didn't we? And I just think he's, I think he is very consistent. He's just asked to, he's kind of expected to be something he's not in that team. He's he's sort of expected to pick up for the shortcomings of other midfielders in that squad, which he can't do, but he can do his own job, which is a very busy job. You know, he wins the ball, he can play short passes. It's just what once he's relied upon to, sort of, you know, really split a defence, it doesn't happen very often. But, you know, he can get into the box and he's, at the moment, scoring a weird amount of headers for a very, from what I can see on the pitch, an average size male. Do we think he's actually that good? No. This isn't to try and, yeah. Okay, yeah, just like I wasn't trying to belittle his abilities. But it feels like when he was signed, it was very much, okay, could be a good sign and don't expect him to be a starter. But the level at which the Juventus first team are operating now is kind of why he's standing out, in a, you know, in a way that it's such a subpar almost sort of midfield area that McKenny being good consistently is enough. You know, I speak about sort of Champions League, Europa League level, and it's like, yeah, he'd be a solid starter for a side always qualifying for the Europa League but that's probably not what Juventus really really need they need an outstanding um, midfielder to be contributing yeah I think he's one of them he's a he's a shuttle run player isn't he he's a in every in every sort of really think of someone like say Damian in last year's Inter team he's not a star but you know every team needs two or three of them but at the moment he's he's doing that without other stars in the team doing 
the really impressive bit, if you know what I mean, which means that his work can be lost and it means that they're not winning as many games as they would if they had, say, someone like Dybala performing consistently, Chiesa, etc., Murata scoring loads of goals. I think McKenney would look like a much, much better player. Nail on the head. I'd have him in that category that Kev bracketed him in as well. That level of team looking to qualify for the Europa League, but for Juve's ambitions, he should not be the outstanding midfielder in that team. There's no way. But look, you and you're on this podcast for a reason. So let's get to it, shall we? Because there's a new Portuguese number seven style player in in Serie A, even if he's wearing the number twenty. But you love Venezia. You love Nani. They're now together. He debuted and assisted a goal within three minutes of coming off the bench today as Venezia drew three. No, they didn't draw 3-3. Three, three. They drew 1-1 one, one with Empoli. Um, you must be pleased. Yeah, this is just lovely. I can just... Why is it lovely? Because is he not old and not very good? I don't really give a shit if he's good or not anymore. It's just... <laughs> You're not swear he... on this one. <laughs> I can't remember which way around it is. <laughs> I can't remember if this is the sweary one or not. Um, no, I, I just think, I mean, it's, I don't think it's any secret on here that I'm a United fan. And if you told 11-year-old me that Nani in 10 years' time or whatever would be lining up for Venezia and Serie A, I just think that's really lovely and it's fun. And he's the sort of player, you know, that's it. He's a fun player. And I'd like to think in these six months and however long he stays, he will score at least one mad goal, whether it be involving some sort of ridiculous skill or if he does... I don't know if you remember this goal, Connor, against... He scored one against Chelsea once, which was From just about 70 yards out, we just belted vicious. Like, I've <laughs> never seen a ball hit that. It was like arrowed. It was just still rising the whole time. And I just want to see him do one of them in that particular kit as well. It would just be lovely. Well, right. Is this not just the case of... Like with Cristiano Ronaldo having a reputation for being good at free kicks, despite being one of the worst free kick takers in the modern era. He scored a couple of them before, but he tried so many that he's not actually that good at long shots. I get what you mean, but I, I don't view him as a free kick player. I think I think he kind of gets viewed like that because in that United team, he was almost like Ronaldo light, basically. He was you know, another... <laughs> Portuguese greasy-haired winger who wasn't quite as good as Ronaldo. But he was still an incredible player in his own right. You know, if you see all his goals put together, he was amazing. And I think it was interesting today, he, you know, to actually talk about him properly. He, he, he was playing quite a deep role. He was playing a deeper role than I expected yeah. him to play. You know, I, I can't claim to have kept up with his career that far while he's been at Orlando, etc. But, um, you know, there was times where they were attacking and, you know, there was three or so players further up the pitch. Than it. He was more—he was playing more of a sort of left-sided centre-mid role. And, um, you know, he, it looked like, just based on that and the fact he's in that role, he seems to still have the lungs for it. Whether he can play consistently will remain to be seen. But, you know, he, he looks very fit for his age. Speaking of his post-Manchester United career, we spoke about this off-air before we came on to recording. And Kev, I just want to give you a little test, right? So... If I tell you the number of clubs Nani has played for since he left Manchester United, do you reckon you could name them all? Put your hands up as well, please. Oh, I, sh- I should be able to because uh, I heard uh, I heard a little bit of you and talking earlier. Okay, so I'll give you the number. It's one, two, three, four, five, and Venezia is the sixth. Okay, so we have Lisbon a couple of times, I think. Sporting, yeah. Once. Two occasions. 
Um, and Fenerbahce. Yeah, good. Two more. Valencia. Good. Uh, it was Orlando. In yeah, the there we go. Look at that. You've smashed it. That's all of them, isn't it? Did you say them all? Uh, yeah. The sporting oh, twice. Did Fenerbahce, oh, Valencia. Uh, okay. Oh, no, there's one more. There's one more. Oh, there's one more. Oh, mm. no, you've lost my trainer. I tweeted, has everybody forgotten mm. during the week? And it seems like everybody has forgotten. Mm. It feels like he should have played for um, like Everton. He played in Italy. <laughs> Oh, Lazio, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm quite impressed with that, to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't expect that. Um, on Nani and on what Ewan was saying about him being like a, a Cristiano Ronaldo light, I heard a story from, I'm, I'm sure it was Ben Foster's podcast or Ben Foster was on someone's podcast recently about Nani when he was at Manchester United. Ewan, have you heard this story recently as well? Uh, it's not ringing any bells, but we'll see. Okay, well, there was a, it was around Christmas time, and the the Manchester United dressing room always used to do like some jokes where the youth team would come in and perform an entire performance, a play that they themselves had written, and there was a joke going around the Manchester United dressing room at the time that Nanny was Cristiano Ronaldo's dog because he just followed him <laughs> everywhere. So. During this performance, two of the youth players came out, one of them dressed in a Cristiano Ronaldo shirt and the other in a nanny shirt. And the guy in the nanny shirt had a lead around his neck and was being walked by Cristiano Ronaldo's actor, which I just thought was a lovely bit of humour. So if you ever go to Venice while nanny's there, maybe bring a little dog lead and a Manchester United branded one and just see what happens. See if it triggers them. Leave him alone. <laughs> he's, he's a nice boy. He doesn't deserve that. Is Nanny to you what both Jose Mourinho and Andrea Patania are to me? <sighs> I'm not sure I can fully... That's, that's the noise Connor makes when he thinks you. of Patania and uh, <laughs> 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 Nanny to me is... Nanny, Nanny makes me think of a better time in life where my football team won more things than they do right now. That's what he is. He... He makes me think of goals against really good teams that we don't do anymore. What, what, <laughs> you've named one. <laughs> no, he scored. He scored a belter against Liverpool as well. He got a couple against them. He um, he used to take the piss out of Arsenal. Sorry, take the mick out of Arsenal all you're the time. You're only you're a patron exclusive podcast. That's, that, that's a minus word. But he, he literally did keep you up. He's in the Emirates and then got clattered for it because is we that, were 4-0 up. Is that good? <laughs> well, it was funny. Well, it was good on. <laughs> it's a different question. No, it was really honest, funny. I'm, I'm all for that. If he starts doing keepy up, he's in the middle of a match that Vanessa are winning. I am. Well, I'll get a kit. I'll get a kit. I'll, I'll be fully on board with that. Um, we've got to make things a little bit more sad now because we're going to go to Vito Doria. Where Vito, I, it's not official, but it seems like Roberto Daversa has had his last game in charge of Sampdoria because they went 1-0 up at home to Torino through Chicho Caputo. But Wilfred Songo and Dennis Pratt scored for Toro and Torino won 2-1. It looks like Gianpaolo is coming back to replace Daversa now. So give us your reaction to the game and then have a little bit of a chat about the probable coaching change. Mm. It's another game in which Sampdoria took the lead, like the Coyote game. 
Gabbiadini had scored first and then Coyote came back. This time it was Chicho Caputo that uh, opened the scoring, but unfortunately it wasn't uh, enough to get the three points and ultimately Sump um, lost. Even with Valdero out, uh, Falcone played in goal like he did against Roma and he made a few good saves, so he prevented the result from being a bit more embarrassing. As for this coaching situation, I think it's really come to a point where Daversa has to go because um, in terms of results, he's not getting enough consistency. And even just in terms of the general performances, I think he's really failed to really fix the defence. I think the defending in general has been very basic, very amateurish, and there are times in which the sump defence have looked like a bunch of training cones. I mean, we're talking about Italy here. You've got to have some standards with your defence. If you're defending worse than, say, the Australian A-League, and I can say that because I live in Australia, <laughs> um, that's that's really uncalled for. So I think there needs to be a serious wake-up call. And uh, the idea of Giampaolo returning is an odd one. Aside from the old saying in Italy that you shouldn't uh, reheat cold soup, you know, just by going back to an old uh, coach. I think more than anything, the players don't suit his formation. He's uh, a four-three-one-two man. This team's built for a standard four-four-two. So, I think in January, so far, some thought he have signed a few players, but uh, I think a few more have to come in if they're gonna make a team that can somehow play you know, half as good as what they did uh, the first time around when Giampaolo was the coach. It's a bit concerning though, right? Because they went from Giampaolo to Di Francesco and then Di Francesco left and they ended up with Claudio Ranieri. And, and that was just such a, a big jump from one idea to the other. Diversa is more similar to Ranieri and now they're going back to Giampaolo. So in terms of building a, a squad, they keep building squads and then bringing in coaches that aren't suited to the squads that they've built. The way I see it, I think it's just a reflection of where Sump is at the moment. The whole Ferrero fiasco was one thing, and now that he's gone, there's a new board in place. They'll want to put in their own ideas. But at this stage, to me, I think it's really just the case of, you know, just get the second half of the season done, make sure safety is achieved, and be done with that because I think in terms of developing an identity with Giampaolo to play his football, I think uh, it'd be a case of, you know, trying to fit uh, square pegs into round holes. There'll be quite a few players out of position and one of those players would be Antonio Candreva. He's been some thought his best player this season. He's a right midfielder, right winger and uh, Giampaolo's uh, formation doesn't really uh, accommodate a player of uh, Kandreva's uh, role. So it might require him playing in a position that he's not really used to. But yeah, we really just got to wait and see. We'll get on to the rest of the Serie A games in just a moment because uh, you and I'm going to come over to you. Uh, Serie A Femenile returned this weekend and I mean it returned quite emphatically. Roma beat Empoli 2-1, Sampdoria beat Lazio 2-1. Milan beat Verona 6-0. Juve beat Pomigliano 5-0, which was a very expected result, to be honest. One that wasn't was Sassuolo going 1-0 down away to Fiorentina and beating them 6-1. 
And then Inter and Napoli finished 1-1. A couple of standout results there, obviously. But, I mean, the, the obvious place to start is perhaps in Florence. Yeah, so we mentioned on a preview or whatever earlier this week um, about, obviously, Boquet and Giacinti going to Fiorentina from Milan. And we sort of were looking at the table and wondering whether there's some sort of charge that they could do towards that second Champions League spot. And obviously, you know, they went, they went 1-0 up very, very quickly. And you start to think, oh my God, maybe, maybe they genuinely are. So, you know, Gigi wasn't even playing at this point, but you, you think, well, maybe they're really good. And then Lana Clennon scores just before half-time. And then again, and again, and then there's another goal. And then she scores again. And they just completely turned into the team from earlier in the season again. They just absolutely <laughs> destroyed Fiorentina and suddenly they look, you know, again, we're reminded of the sort of force they are when it comes to trying to get that second Champions League spot. In terms of the teams fighting for that, the big losers this weekend were Inter because they only drew one all with Napoli, who were right near the bottom. It's a great point for Napoli, but Inter, after the form they've been in, absolutely want to be winning that game. Um, Milan, while we suggested they might not be brilliant anymore, they went and won 6-0 away from home, but it is worth noting that was against Verona, who, uh, you know, easily, you'd think now, the worst team in the league, closely followed by Lazio, who lost themselves as well. The, t- the pair of them just look doomed. They lost away at Sampdoria. So um, it does look like that, that run for second place, you know, Fiorentina probably won't be a part of it because there is a big gap there now. But Roma occupy it right now and Sassuolo are level with them. Milan are only three points behind into another two. And it looks very, very interesting, that run. You know, Roma won again this weekend. They won at home to Empoli. That was a very dramatic game as well because they were losing until um, about six minutes to go. And then it turned out that wasn't <laughs> six minutes because it was the 98th minute that Elena Linari scored a penalty to give give them all three points. So it is shaping up really well. Obviously, Juventus won 5 0, that's what they do. That doesn't need to be explained any further. But all of those teams chasing that spot, apart from Inter, won. So they've, they've got their work cut out now if they are going to manage to nab that second place. Sassuolo, then. They fell. 4-2 at home to Verona. And Antonin Barak stole all, stole all of the headlines here, Kevi. He grabbed the hat-trick. Gianluca Caprari also scored. But Sassuolo, I mean, Scamac and Defrel both both were on target, but they couldn't really do much about Verona in this form. No, they just uh, seemed really clinical. They had a goal disallowed as well at the start of the game. Um, Barak, a player I'm very fond of and was unfortunate to see Venezia play Verona when um, he was out injured. But uh, a hat-trick, you, you almost want a sort of a, a treble of wonderful goals. Obviously, one was a penalty, one kind of cannons off of him from a corner kick. But I think he probably made up for it with the last finish, sort of racing away to just sort of dink the on-rushing goalkeeper and watch the ball sort of bounce into the net. But, uh, yeah, lovely... Um, Lovely performance by Verona on the whole and finishes by um, Barak to, to complete a resounding victory, which you didn't really see coming with Sassuolo playing at home. 
it was quite surprising how Sassuolo were dominating in that game. Um, it's clear that with Berardi suspended, no Filip Juricic as well, that they were really missing uh, an extra creator or two to link the midfield and the attack. Uh, watching Verona play, they just really dominated this game, especially the first half. They were in complete control. And perhaps when I looked at the score, I thought 2-0, that's about right. But I also felt that the Giallo Blue could have been leading by more. It seemed that in the second half, the Nero Verdi had a bit of hope and there was some nice goals, especially the Scamacca one. But I think uh, Verona deserved the win. Barak was so instrumental as well. But also, I think uh, Verona could have also won by a bit more than that. That's just how well they played on the day. They just seemed well in control able to create plenty of chances and uh, they've got the three points but yeah I mean the way they play they played so good they could have actually added more gloss on it which would be scary from a Sassuolo perspective well Barak is such a good player right he's been doing it for a few years in Serie A with Udinese first and now at Verona and it seems that this is the season where everybody's sitting up and taking note of them because Verona have been a bit more of a fashionable side, I suppose, this season with, with Igor Tudor. But th- this this game was a funny old one because Verona were excellent in the beginning of the season. Sassuolo weren't so great. And then Verona have been really patchy lately and Sassuolo had only lost one in their last nine. And then you get this result. It's just it, these two teams are odd and they are... Part of the reason why Serie A can be so enjoyable because we've got teams like Sassuolo and Verona knocking around there. The other game, which I've deliberately left until the end because it wasn't really a match, was it? Was Salernitana against Lazio. Lazio went 1-0 up after 7, 2-0 up after 10. And if they wanted to, I suspect they could have had 20 against Salernitana, who basically had a second string team out and a load of kids on the bench and... It was a shame that, well, it was a shame that Salernitana were in such a state. And then I thought it was a shame that Sassuolo didn't just murder them. Kev, does that make me bad that I wanted Sassuolo to score, or not Sassuolo, that I wanted Lazio to score about 15 goals? Uh, a little bit, but only, it depends on your, if you've got to watch it. Because it's one of those games where if you see Salernitana go two down, Within the first sort of, I think it was at least Ten. twenty minutes. Ten was it? I know they scored on for the third minute, didn't they? That's yeah. But if you if you've not got an interest in it, or if you're not being asked to cover the game, you probably turn it off. Um, but I think if it's all you're watching, or you're a Lazio fan, you probably want them to score sort of fifteen, twenty goals and and make it at least interesting. Um, so I don't blame you for that, but uh, I'm not surprised that kind of. It ended up being a not embarrassing scoreline for Salernitana. I did turn it off after 10 minutes now, Kev. I know I like to poke fun at you for being old and things. But I, the, in the question that I asked you, I said that they scored after 7 and 10 minutes. Oh. And then you said they scored after 20 and, and I think it was 3. Are you all right? It's just because I don't, I don't really listen to you. And also, after after you called Lazio Sassuolo, I couldn't really yeah. take anything you said <laughs> yeah. as sort of concrete evidence. I was so, uh, 
it was only last week I did this as well, right? I just, I have a thing. Sassuolo just come out of my mouth all the time. I just, I mention them. I think about them when I shouldn't. It just happens. So I apologize. But to, to get onto what you were saying, Kev, I actually did do exactly what you were kind of suggesting. I, I tuned in to see, you know, what might happen here. And then Lassie went 2-0 up very quickly. And after seven minutes of them not trying to do much else, I decided I wasn't going to waste my time. Co- correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, here we this go. Was the, this was the 6pm kickoff, you know, Italian time on Saturday. No. Is that right? I don't know. No, it wasn't. I don't know. Because I'm just thinking, because in the UK we have this this ban on any f- televised football on a Saturday between 3pm and 5.15 okay. UK time. So I would have had to switch over and see that Salernitana were already 2-0 down and probably would have just switched straight back off again. I think it was. Absolutely no minutes. I think that's the one it was, the 6 o'clock one on Saturday. Yeah, so there could well have been uh, a UK audience that didn't even bother to watch this after probably seeing Twitter alerts of goals going in and just decided not to put the UK broadcast on. <laughs> Ewan? Yeah, just to confirm, I was part of that audience. We waited until quarter past five because I had no choice. Popped it on. <laughs> 2 nil. Watched the next 10 minutes or so to see if it would quickly go to like five because it felt like it could. And then I moved on with my day and went and watched my own team. Guys, do you not use the internet? <laughs> well, yeah, but that's not the same. Just following it. You want to see it? No, as yeah. in, you if know, you've got, <laughs> if you've got if you've got a legal if you've got a legal television broadcast for those fifteen minutes, it is not worth trying to yeah. use the internet. If I'm not allowed to swear, you're not allowed to advocate the use of illegal streams. <laughs> I didn't say either of those two words beginning with IRS. You and Kev said that. <laughs> But all I was saying is that if you have access to the internet, there are there are alternative it's, it's options. It's a lot of clicking, which means that you don't have to miss it's a lot out of clicking on clicking and admin for a quarter of an hour of Salernitana at home to Lazio, and, and too much advertisements of Ukrainian sex workers. I do not want. I don't. I, I don't get those ones, Kev. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um. Different region. <laughs> different region. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> in the same city as me, right? <laughs> ah, One guys, uh, we're moving on. We're moving on. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm not, I can't do this anymore. This is the last time the three of you will be on the podcast <laughs> together. Monday night sees Milan, Spezia, Bologna, Napoli, and Fiorentina, Genoa. And in keeping with Lega Serie remarkably incompetent organisation. Both Milan Spezia and Bologna Napoli are playing at half past six on a Monday that's not a holiday in either of those two cities. So that's good. Loads of people will watch that both in the stadium and on the telly. I'm sure of it. Um, And in the UK where that's a half past five kickoff on a Monday and in the United States where that is a half past 12 or half past nine in the morning kickoff depending on where you are. So, like I said, yeah, really doing a good job of organising times for global fans and, of course, fans in the country where the football is played. But, Vito, I'm sure a half-past six kickoff is great for you as well, right? Half-past six? Ooh. Probably for me, it'd be the opposite. Because yeah, what, like... half-past five in the morning? 
Half, yeah, oh, half past four. So, yeah. <laughs> who, are they, who do they want to watch that match? Who's going to watch it? <laughs> Nobody. It's ridiculous. On a Monday. On a Monday. <laughs> anyway. You, you, you remember I'm doing Milan and Spezia, right? I so I'll be watching <laughs> Yeah. I'll message you. I'll message you after the podcast about that. Um, but what I will say is, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it, Kev. Uh, you're not going to have to watch that football match. Um, anyway, I didn't remind people at the top, so I will remind them now here at the end of the podcast. Patreon.com/slash Forza Italian Football. You can help us out by helping. Help help us by helping by helping us. Um, you can contribute as little as two euro a month to, to help keep the, the everything up and running. Five euro a month gets you a lot of bonus content on a weekly basis. And if you've got a lot of money, you can give us 10 euro a month and we'll love you more than we love the others. Um, that's all. That is all. We will be back on Patreon very soon. Don't know when. For the preview pod, I guess, there'll be a written piece going up in midweek, but we'll be back in terms of in your ears on Friday for the preview podcast. Um, that's all I've got to say. I'm not going to let the others say goodbye because I don't trust them, but Vito, you can say goodbye to the lovely listeners. Goodbye. That's goodbye from the rest of them. We'll speak to you soon.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 